The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. (laughs) Hi, this is Michael Morisi, uh, writer of Roach Limit and Burning Fields, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. Back at home, babies. It's my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 211, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 3rd. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not stepping down a mere four days after being voted in for my 14th term as the president of the Alien Legion fan club in the wake of an ongoing corruption investigation. Is that another FIFA joke? That's another FIFA joke. I'm writing the comic speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not deftly sidestepping Matt's jokes that make me look like a terrible transphobe. <laughs> we have slept with way too many transgender people to be transphobic. That's I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. It makes you look confused. I'm not confused. <laughs> I understand. I honestly did not get it at first. I looked and I was like, oh, great. Another Kardashian. <laughs> He did his job too well. (laughs) This week, you'll hear our reviews of Airboy, number one, and Midnighter, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics faster than the Millennium Falcon can make the Kessel Run with a divorce lawyer and Chase during the ludicrous speed round. Spoilers! Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I are having a little dinner party catered by some of our favorite celebrity chimp chefs. And, of course, discussing two of next week's comics. And finally... We step back into the comic studio when we interview Michael Morisi, and that is how he says his name, and Cullen Bunn. I always just call him Michael Morrissey. Yeah, I did too, at last week's Omaha Comic Con. But before Sarah Palin starts defending child murderers, let's all agree we are done talking about the Duggars and their 19 doomed children until such time as the kids start their own Manson-esque murder cult. And then we'll talk about this week's Big News! Marvel has finally started to reveal what form the Marvel Universe will take following Secret Wars in the fall. The publisher has announced a line-wide relaunch this October that they're calling all-new, all-different Marvel. The House of Ideas will roll out 50 to 60 titles, each starting with a new number one over the course of four months. Each of those titles will pick up eight months after the conclusion of Secret Wars, not at all confusing, presumably in a reformed Marvel Universe. Two promo images were released offering a couple of interesting glimpses at unexpected characters, such as Citizen V from the Thunderbolts. That had to make your nipples hard. I was so excited to see him. Uh, A resurrected Karnak, who I did not know was brought back a long time ago. Well, sort of. In Inhuman, right? Well, kind of. Okay. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. That's fine. And Well, Marvel confirmed that it's Karnak. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy that it's a real Karnak. Yeah, yeah. An updated take on Red Wolf, a much younger looking axe wielding Doctor Strange, <laughs> but it's not it's not Yarn Bjorn. It's no. not the magic axe. No. Ben Grimm in a Guardians of the Galaxy uniform. Well, we knew that. X-23 taking over the role of Wolverine and a much Netflixier looking Daredevil. Four different spider characters and more. A new Hulk that is not Bruce Banner was also teased. Marvel will unveil their full post-Secret Wars lineup in a free 64-page magazine available in comic shops, later you'll be able to get it digitally, on July 1st. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso gave a series of interviews on Friday to different media outlets describing the initiative to Fast Company, quote, Comics publishing is slowly evolving into more of a seasonal model. We're allowed to hit a refresh button, not a reboot button, but a refresh button, which allows for the beginning of new stories, new creative teams, new directions, much the same way you see with your favorite binge-worthy cable television shows. To the New York Post, quote, This is the Marvel Universe you know with a few constructive tweaks. There may be some new characters, there may be some changes to the relationships, but it's the Marvel Universe, it's just the next chapter. To USA Today, quote, We've put the onus on the creators to come up with big changes in the lives of our characters, whether it's Spider-Man or Ms. Marvel or Daredevil or the Hulk. You're going to be looking at, in certain cases, new characters inhabiting those roles 
and new characters dealing with profound changes in their relationships with others around them and where they live. We've challenged everybody to come up with the right oh reveal for their character to shake it up and make it interesting. And quote, Matt, if it looks like a reboot and quacks like a reboot, isn't it a reboot? I guess not. I don't know. Now, well, we're going to change it so that Spider-Man is married to Mary Jane again or whatever. Well, here's why it's, but not, it's not a reboot. Here's why it's not. Because it's a story element. All right. Right. Yes. And and that's kind of I mean, I, I realize you're splitting hairs there, but th- but that's kind of how I understand it, where they're saying it all still happened. It's just that as a result of Secret Wars, things are different now. Yeah. And they have to deal with it. Like the first thing that they mentioned, it, we just found out Brian Michael Bendis. And David Marquez. It was just announced today Our at Special Edition New York City, which is apparently a convention. That I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But there's a Marvel <laughs> event there. And he's, the first thing they said was, it all happened. It all counts. This is Tony Stark in the armor. They went on to say that, you know how Tony Stark has like 200 different armors? This one can transform into all of them. Whoa. Which I don't know what that means, but cool. So they're being very careful to say, don't freak out. This is part of a story. We have a plan. And I think it's a good way to do it. And I think, if anything, just those quotes that Axel Alonso gave made me feel a lot better. And perhaps had DC handled something like this with the new 52, we would have felt better about that. Now, that's not to say the execution would have been better, but we right. wouldn't. our heads wouldn't have spun all the way around. I don't know. Turn purple and explode it. <laughs> I mean, Marvel, Marvel is trying so hard to convince people that they are not rebooting. We're not rebooting, you guys. It's okay. It's okay. And yet here we're going to get all of this crazy different stuff. It, but it's just, again, time will tell to see how it plays out. I'm not saying that I'm up in arms about it or anything. Yeah. I think it's all, it lo- looks very exciting. Yes. But if you recall, we were all pretty excited about the new 52 too. That's true. But I, okay. I'd also say, and I know we come off as Marvel apologists every time we do this. I really like the Netflix metaphor that he made. And if they can carry that through into the Marvel, U. I think it could be a whole lot of fun. You know, Tom Brevoort did an interview with Newsarama yesterday about the idea of kind of letting go of the old way of marking things with really high numbers and keeping it going for years and years and years and years. And he, and that's coming from an old fan. Like that dude is an old school comic book fan, but he's also an editor whose job it is to, uh, foster these characters into the future. And he understands the business and he understands the changing market. And he just had, he just like it's laid down some real talk where he said, look, issue numbers as much fun as they can be to old collectors. They're a construct of c- the comics industry. Yeah. They're virtually meaningless. so that they could get away with doing that instead of putting dates on the books, like the newsstand, like magazines did right. back then. Right. They don't really mean anything. No. I, and honestly, I've let go of it. And he said, you know, I know it makes it harder for collectors. I know it makes it harder for retailers to know how to file this stuff. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, and that is the most frank explanation for the constant reboots and renumberings that I've ever heard from anybody working at one of these companies. Yeah. I mean, the guy just came out and said it. He said, look, man, talk. It is how it is. I'm sorry. That's the world we live in. Honestly, we have to address old jerks like you and I that get all freaked out about this and say, hey, we're not marketing to the. 60 to 100,000 people that buy comics on the regular. We're marketing to everyone now. Right. And I get that. If we don't want our hobby to go away, they got to do it. Right. And the reality is, is that you're going to catch a lot more people with a number one or even a number five or a number 10 than you are with a number 650. It's true. You'll attract more flies with a number one than you will with a 642. (laughs) In Hollywood news, one million moms has organized a boycott. 11,000 moms, <laughs> yeah. which is the reality. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually a million. <laughs> One million moms has organized a boycott of the upcoming Fox show Lucifer, to which Fox said, thank you for the free PR, based on the Vertigo Comics character created by Neil Gaiman in the pages of Sandman. Lucifer, which is set to debut this fall, follows the adventures of the Lord of Hell as he grows bored with his role and abandons his throne for life on Earth. Gaiman took to his Tumblr page to respond to the boycott saying, quote, ah, it seems like only yesterday, but it was 1991 that the concerned mothers of America announced they were boycotting Sandman because it contained lesbian, gay, bi and trans characters. It was the idea of Wanda, the trans woman in the comic book that upset them the most. 
They told us they were organizing a boycott of Sandman, which they would only stop if we wrote to the American Family Association and promised to reform. (laughs) I swear to do better. (laughs) I wonder if they noticed it didn't work last time either. I mean, we never saw those Sandman comic books and nobody ever heard about it again. Yeah, who's Neil Gaiman? Yeah, I mean, really? (laughs) I hope the one million moms don't ruin this. Joe, are you terrified? Man, uh, gosh, the idea that there are 1 million moms or even 10,000 moms out there trying to police what I can and cannot watch or read or listen to or hear or think about. Thank the Lord. I mean, uh, really, what uh, would we do without them? If only, <laughs> uh, yes, if only I had more of this kind of influence in my life, I'd be much more well-adjusted uh, truly, individual. Truly, I will say that the most notable thing about this story, which is obviously ridiculous, is that I lost the nerd bet. The show is going to be called Lucifer. Yeah. Congratulations. All right. Mark one on the board. Pacha. Pacha. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this whole thing is stupid. Uh, Tipper Gore and two live crew and all that nonsense from the nineties. It's only gotten worse since, uh, since then. Aren't we over this? It, it will never end. This? It will never Good end. God. It will never end. Jeez. It's a small group of people that named themselves one minute. I mean, there's Mom. still enough of them that you probably couldn't take them all in a fight. Uh, I don't know. I bet I could. Not- I bet I could take a bunch of them. <laughs> if you introduce the moms one at a time. <laughs> oh, sure. Like every, give yes. me two minutes to kick a mom's ass. <laughs> like, I bet I could take out 30 of them. All right. <laughs> here's, a, here's a conspiracy theory for you. What if one million moms is an artificial construct that serves only to give publicity to scandalous uh programming that'd be great i'll tell you what the first thing i would have done if at fox is send them a copy oh hell yeah (laughs) we're like get upset about this we need some news (laughs) (laughs) in other movie news warner brothers has chosen their director for the upcoming aquaman feature film starring jason momoa furious sevens james wan will helm the film which will be produced by charles roven deborah snyder and the man himself Zack snyder An icon for over 70 years, Aquaman is king of the seven seas. This reluctant ruler of Atlantis, caught between a surface world constantly ravaging the sea and Atlanteans looking to lash out in revolt, is committed to protecting the entire globe. Speaking of Juan's hiring, Rovin said, quote, James is not only a great storyteller, but can make action truly explode on the big screen. And Jason has a dynamic presence that commands your attention. Together, they will bring an undeniable vitality and energy to this character as he headlines his first feature film. End quote. Matt, is James Wan too fast and too furious for Zack Snyder's DC Cinematic Universe? He's perfect. Honestly, James Wan is a hell of a director. Fast and Furious 7 or Furious 7 looked amazing. It was a great film. I love Aquaman. Okay. I am not bashing Aquaman. Okay. I don't know if you can make a good Aquaman movie. <laughs> I honestly don't. I think you can. I, I think this might be one of the hardest jobs in like Hollywood history. I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. I think it's probably easier to give a serious interpretation of Aquaman on film as a solo character than it is to explain how he fits in and how he belongs in the, a team full of gods. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I because he's that. the king of Atlantis. There are armies of fish people that want to invade the earth and meanwhile the earth is just like throw our garbage into the ocean we love it (laughs) whales you say i'll take some (laughs) i heard they're delicious i don't really see that as as big a challenge as justifying his presence in a justice league movie okay and and honestly and i also love aquaman i do not truck with the people that say aquaman is stupid he doesn't belong i don't either i think he's awesome but convincing the populace could be difficult right and Jason Wan is going to make a big, sexy action film. I, I'd still. How is he going to get things to explode yeah. underwater? <laughs> That's a good question. This is going to be a tough one for Wan, but I guess we'll see. I just, and I know we beat this into the dirt. I hope it's not dark and extreme and terrifying. And well, uh, I mean, the thing about Furious Aquaman 7, is a much more serious character. I will say that. The, the king, the king, the thing about Furious 7 is that though it is, you know, super crazy, kinetic, violent, it is, it's not dark, you know? No, like it's tongue in cheek and it was fun. The entire like Fast and Furious, all of those movies, one of the reasons I love them is because they are fun. 
and super sincere. They're fun. They're totally sincere. They're about family. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's like a really sweet message to every one of them. Absolutely. And I know some of you right now are shaking your head like, well, no, I was no, a doubter. No, I was a doubter. <laughs> I am now a believer. They are fun. They they're really so are. good. And if he can make Aquaman fun, good, because so far Superman was not fun. And Superman v. Batman doesn't look like doesn't look like fun is going to be an adjective that's thrown around <laughs> after we watch that one. I will say this. I was more excited about James Wan getting hired to direct Aquaman than it was about any other piece of news regarding the DC Cinematic Universe. Agreed. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I have storyboarded out some underwater car chase scenes. And I'm going to be real honest. They just don't work. They don't work at all. Back to the drawing board. (laughs) Every Sunday, drenched and delirious director Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums. It's my Aquaman fan film. (laughs) Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's for the record, it was fun. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was fun. It wasn't good, but it was fun. <laughs> Thank you. This week's question, once again, comes from Black Scorpion the Three. That guy's going for the Gucci. He's the hardest working man in the THN forums. Today is D Day. That's right. We are recording on D Day. Right now. Is June 6th. Maybe it's time to revisit fighting the Nazis. When I was a kid, I thought it was the day. <laughs> Today is the day. <laughs> What's your favorite Nazi fighting tale in comics? Cool. Everybody hates them Nazis. I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's a hard one. I like it. I'm into it. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, June 12th to get us your answer. You can call, leave a message using Skype. The Skype panel's to it. A nerd, all one word. I also like that he did not definitely force us to glorify Nazis and say, who's your favorite Nazi in comics? (laughs) Right, right. Oh, I just love this Nazi. (laughs) Although Baron Strucker is my favorite Nazi. I mean, I, I mean, some of these guys like Red Skull and Baron Zemo, oh, I think they grow, guys. they grow out of the whole Nazi thing. I don't know. They're still uh, <laughs> like pretty hardcore racist. I feel like it's more about them wanting to be being in charge of the mass race, not necessarily hitting on a specific group of people. Uh, you let's just uh, analyze that sentence. Them wanting to run the master race. I, well, I know, but okay. <laughs> there's really no Look, way. They're not it. so bad when you get right down to it. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can also, for the love of God, please get me out of this. Call the Ziggurat hotline four zero two. Joe Patrick, Nazi sympathizer. Eight one nine four eight nine four. Or you can send an MP three to two at a nerd at gmail Please keep it under two minutes. And if you need more time than that, feel free to write to your heart's content on the question of the week section of the THN forums. Then tune in every week to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. Thursdays, brand new day to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. We did the math and realized we do it Thursdays. We get three days for each show to be out there. Yeah. (laughs) Genius. You know, we're professionals. It is review time on THN, where Joe and I skip game one of both the NHL and NBA championships for an in-depth discussion of two of this week's comics, because we are nerds. Joe, enough of your Blackhawks and Warriors BS. Tell me about what you reviewed this week. The man can't stop talking about basketball. What is that, hockey? And basketball. Oh, basketball. This week, I'm reviewing Airboy, number one, from Image Comics, written by James Robinson, with art by Greg Hinkle. It's 32 pages for just $2.99. I'm going to read the solicit, even though uh, we had some weirdo read it for us last week. (laughs) No offense. No offense to our weirdo audience out there. Worlds and minds explode in a brand new series when acclaimed comics author James Robinson is hired to write the reboot of the 1940s action hero Airboy. He's reluctant to do yet another Golden Age reboot. Two reboots in one sentence. Just what the hell has happened to his career? His marriage? His life? Hey, it's nothing that a drink can't fix. It's after one such night of debauchery with artist Greg Hinkle that the project really comes into its own, quite literally. Because Airboy himself appears to set the two depraved comic book creators on the straight and narrow, but is the task too much for our hero? I realize now 
that I really danced around the whole reveal of Airboy at the end in my review. They say it right in the solicit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've been waiting for Airboy forever. It was announced at the Image Expo at the beginning of last year as an ongoing series, and now the first issue is here, and it's now a four-issue limited series. Bummer. Oh, that's right. It was supposed to be a series. Yeah. It? I don't know what took so long. I don't know why the plan changed. I don't care. Airboy is finally here and everything is okay. This remarkable story begins with James Robinson on the toilet as image publisher Eric Stevenson gives him the unenviable task of reviving the classic pulp hero Airboy for a new generation. From there, Robinson takes his collaborator Greg Hinkle on a drug, alcohol, and sex-fueled quest for inspiration that ends with the creators literally bearing themselves completely to their audience before things take a turn for the even weirder. That's when everybody shows up. I was trying to be all subtle about it. Oh, I see. I was so impressed by Robinson's story and his unflinchingly honest portrayal of his own ego and insecurities. Robinson comes across in a really terrible light here as he plays the writer struggling against type. In the same breath, he compares himself to Paul McCartney and expresses his frustration at only being remembered for his work on the beloved Starman series. Hinkle doesn't come across much better. He's just as complicit in the night's events as Robinson is, but at least he feels kind of bad about it. Well, he seemed kind of like an innocent tagalong who like wanted to hang out. Who with snorted Tom. coke and had sex with random strangers, even though he's married. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, hey, it's James Robinson. It's life on think, the road, am I right, Matt I want to be cool, too. I mean... <laughs> Hinkle's art is a real revelation, and I don't know where this guy has been keeping himself. I'm mad I haven't seen him on anything before now. Hinkle handles every visual in the book, including the colors and the lettering, and every aspect is stunning. Hinkle uses a beautiful color palette that's not quite full color, not quite monochrome. Reminded me a lot of what Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon do in Casanova. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yes. When there's finally a burst of vibrant color on the final page, it makes the sudden appearance of Airboy seem all the more unreal. Airboy is a brutally honest look at a fading creator and his struggle for relevancy. It's beautiful and funny and exaggerated. Please, God, I hope it's exaggerated. Oh, it is. And surprisingly foul in all the best ways. I loved it. It might be my favorite issue of the year so far. I'm, I'm putting it in my Beppo notes for the end of the year. Okay, then. It gets an absolute buy it from me. It gets a huge buy it from me as well. It has to be exaggerated. And I think Robinson went out and made it as ridiculous as possible to make it fiction. There's definitely some truth in here. And I loved, I loved that they weren't afraid to throw out DC's name. They weren't afraid to throw out the fact that like he really struggled at DC. And you could tell mm -hmm. we talked about it when he was writing JLA and stuff. And it's this great insight into the business and the inside of a creator's head and how hard this stuff really is. And it's exaggerated. It's ridiculous. It's drug fueled. It's absolutely foul. Hinkle draws, <laughs> Hinkle draws a full on frontal nudity portion of himself. You get to see a lot of dudes dicks. In and they ab he absolutely <laughs> inflated the size of his hog. Now I've never seen it, but this was ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like it got bigger from panel to panel on the same page. You could tell they were having a lot of fun with this. And this is the best kind of somewhat true fiction. I believe they called it, He referred to it as an anaconda. <laughs> he did at one point. This was just fantastic. It was gross. It was disturbing. And it makes the appearance of Airboy this like sweet, ridiculous, golden age character. Yeah. And so much better. And he's going to show up to set him straight. Yeah. You know, this reminded me a lot. I mean, it's obviously not the same uh, type of story, but it reminded me a lot of Brian K. Vaughn's The Escapists. Yes. Which was a which was about a group of people, one of whom was the grandson of the creator of the escapist from Cavalier and Clay. Right. And their struggle to get a hold of the rights to that character and bring him back into the public eye and, and kind of resurrect him for a new generation. It was a little more innocent and sweet. Though. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but it just it reminded me, I, I love that kind of meta take on it. It's like, I didn't want an Airboy revival. I don't care. Yeah, nobody about does. About Airboy. And this is a very clever way to do an Airboy revival. Oh, yeah. It really is. It's probably the only way that it succeeds because you do this at dynamite which i'll discuss some of those later on <laughs> nobody gives a 
I mean, it's who cares, really? Right. I mean, what are you speaking to five or six people out there that still even know who Airboy is? This was brilliant. Very well executed. Perfect art. I loved it. Huge buy it for me. Matt Baum, tell me about the return of the Midnighter. This one is from DC. It's all new. It's all different. And it's written by Steve Orlando. No, those are the other guys. Oh, God, pardon me. And it's written by Steve Orlando with art by A-C-O. Acco. Acco? Sure. It's in all caps. Is it a person? Is it a machine? Is it a man? Is it a woman? I have no idea. Is it something else? <laughs> I don't know. 32 pages, 299. Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch's gay Batman is back, and he's better than ever. In the wake of Convergence, DC is trying to relaunch several characters and teams, but the Midnighter seems to be the only Wildstorm holdover for now. The Midnighter has seen plenty. I'm sure backlash is coming back anytime now. Oh, we can only hope. (laughs) The Midnighter has seen plenty of action in several different reboots of both the Wildstorm U and the DCU, but each time the creative teams on the book seemed unable to capture the lightning in a bottle that Warren Ellis pumped into his superhuman Batman analog. I remember when he had that huge spike on his chin. Please let's not talk about it here. Orlando drops us into the Midnighter's life without any explanation and we don't need it. We meet an old woman who seems to be the caretaker of the God garden. We we should say real quick that this is a spinoff of Grayson. Midnighter had been appearing in Grayson off and on. And so a lot of this stuff, I think if you aren't reading Grayson, like I think the the caretaker of the God Garden, I think that stuff has maybe come up before. Well, it's also loosely where he came from in the Wildstorm U. I thought in the old Wildstorm U, he was created by the by uh, Henry Bendix and Skywatch and all that. They were doing their experiments in a place that was very similar to the God Garden where they were growing superhumans and stuff. Okay, we meet an old woman who seems to be the caretaker of the God garden. We just have to pull you back because we went off the rails. The place where we learn the Midnighter gained his powers, including a computer in his head that allows him to predict his enemy's actions, even before they happen, superhuman strength and a healing factor. The God garden is attacked by a mysterious character that looks to have the similar power set and gear, including opening doors that allow him to teleport almost anywhere. Who is he? (laughs) From there, we meet the Midnighter on a date with a guy he seems to have met through a grinder type app when a group of alien terrorists attack. From there, the real action begins. My problem with everyone that's tried their hand at this character in the past is they missed what made him great. First, he's not a good guy. Second, he's not a generic badass. And third, purely psychotic ultra violence. Orlando nails the Midnighter here from his cocky dialogue to his nihilistic and borderline Asperger's personality. He's a complicated man with wants and needs just like anyone else. And no one understands him but his boyfriend. It's true. (laughs) He has wants and needs just like anyone else, but he can also pull your larynx out faster than you can shoot him in the face. Oh, and he's gay and there's a gay sex scene in this comic that is handled better than most straight love scenes in comics these days. The way the creative team is handling Midnighter's sexuality does not come off as a stunt or a headline grab or even a weird idea of what a straight writer thinks gay people act like. It's just part of his character. And in one issue, he comes off as one of the best and most believable homosexual heroes I have ever encountered. Right. And they and it's they don't shy away from it. They At don't all. act like it's something to be ashamed of. They don't cut away right before his date doesn't show up at his house. And they, and he says, come on in. And then they shut the You're door like, oh, and then you don't see what, what happens. happens. No, it's very real. It's very frank. And this is, guess what? Midnighter's gay. He likes dudes deal with but it. But it's also not exploitative. Yes, absolutely. I agree. ACO's art is perfect for the fight scenes here, and he, she, or it uses small boxes with x-ray shots of bones breaking to illustrate Oh, I thought that was good. How perfectly good the Midnighter is at hurting people and hurting them in epic fashion. The art for the fight scenes was simply amazing. Some of it I really had to look at to figure out what was going on. There's a scene where he's getting shot at and in a restaurant, and the Midnighter is flipping from one from the left side of the panel to the right side of the panel and drawn in several flipping motions, dodging the bullets. And it was beautiful, like bombastic and beautiful. I loved this from start to finish. And I am overjoyed, not just to read a Wildstorm character in the DCU. that doesn't make me want to bury the comic in the backyard where the pugs can crap on its grave, but 
to finally see someone get this character right. If the rest of the DCU relaunch is this good, I need to know who I am buying drinks for at the next Comic-Con. I loved this. Buy it. I thought it was awesome. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Akko's art is amazing. What the hell is Akko? I don't know. Who is this I'm person? Sure it's a person. If you go to comic book database, no information. Nothing. Hey, I wonder if Akko is related to FCO. If not, we need to get them into a ring and let them fight it out. <laughs> FCO placenta or whatever. Placentia, yeah. <laughs> but I love the way Akko breaks up his panels. It was cool. Just the layouts on this book are stunning. Yeah. It's a huge bite. I really enjoyed it. And kudos to DC for kicking off this relaunch on a real positive note. Absolutely. So that is a double buy it for Airboy and a double buy it for the Midnighter, number one. As always, we want to know what you chemically dependent creators and gay killing machines thought of these comics. So have another shot and collapse our skulls with your opinions over at the THM forums. You can find them by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. We all know that the Millennium Falcon was the only ship to make the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. But what you might not know is that a parsec is a measure of distance and not time or speed. So that sense is effectively nonsense. To be fair, if he's able to shave distance off, then that is still a That's massive. not an argument, no. But when somebody asks you, is your ship fast? And you say, I know a lot of great shortcuts. <laughs> That's not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, Matt and I have found ourselves in a spot of trouble with our wives when two of our previous wives showed up out of nowhere up her entire backstory. I didn't even know this was part of my continuity. Me neither. <laughs> I've been rebooted so many times, though. Who can keep track? So join us as we jump on our own ship, the Millennium Chicken. It's not quite as impressive. No. <laughs> and make the Kessel Run in less than 10 parsecs with four of our wives and four different divorce lawyers in chase while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, Go! Bizarro, number one from DC. Do we need a solo Bizarro comic? Probably not. No. Is the reverse talk that no one can keep consistent really annoying? Absolutely. Is this comic hilarious with great art? Yeah, it actually was. It was. <laughs> Bizarro and Jimmy Olsen take a road trip across country for reasons that are completely unimportant. This was great. An unexpected treat kicking off the first week of the Sublime 49. Buy it. They owe us money for that, by the way. Yeah. Pay up, DC. Yep. We, this, that wasn't a gift. No, we handed you that. The Omega Man, number one from DC. June is here and the DCU has converged, leaving us with a bunch of new titles, including this one, which is a soft relaunch of the Star Jammers. Uh, pardon me. I meant the Omega Man. DC's Space Pirates are softly rebooted here with a couple of new members, but Tigor is still there along with Brute, and I can't wait for the Groot Brute crossover. This is a perfectly fun space scoundrel adventure with badass art by Barnaby Bagenda. I love it. <laughs> I love that name. I am thrilled to see the Omega Men kicking ass again. That is two for two, DC. Three for three. Three for three, DC. Buy it. Archie 666 from Archie Comics. In hindsight, they probably should have held on to 667. <laughs> <laughs> In anticipation of the edgy reboot coming from Mark Wade and Fifi Stapes. We're not doing that. It's time to say goodbye to the classic version of the Riverdale gang. I know it's silly. I know most people don't care about this, and that's why we're getting a big shakeup, but I have to confess, by the end, when everyone rallied around to support Archie after spending the entire issue talking about how much trouble he was, I got a little choked up. As great as what's coming will probably be, I will miss these guys. I'm giving it a buy. This was not the Archie It's 666 I was hoping for at all. It's not, no. No devil, no hellfire. (laughs) It's just an issue of Archie. Justice Inc., The Avenger, number one from Dynamite. Get this. The comic book archaeologist of Dynamite unearthed a character that existed for four years, from 1939 to 1942, in a pulp magazine. I hope these guys are paid well. The Avenger was a millionaire who made his money the old-fashioned way, through adventuring. But when his wife and child were killed in an airplane crash, his skin and hair turned white, and his face became malleable like clay, enabling him to sculpt... I'm not making this up, by the way. Enabling him to sculpt his face to look like almost any man. But he is still white. 
Thanks, Wikipedia. White like an albino. Yeah, and when I say white, I mean like chalk white. What is a sheet? Here, Mark Wade takes a shot at this Golden Age what, crime really? buster. It was Mark Wade? It was Mark Wade, and does so with long-winded narration and even longer dialogue balloons that left me bored. The art was fine, but really, who cares? And who asked for this? I'm not even going to say who needs this. Skim it. Groot, number one from Marvel. Jimmy Kimmel Live's Jeff Loveness becomes the latest comedian to make the jump to comics with this cute little series that's replacing Rocket Raccoon during Secret Wars. This was a fun little all-ages adventure with Groot and his buddy Rocket getting into mischief in deep space. Great cartooning by Brian Kessinger. Honestly, though, while this is fun stuff and great for kids, you won't really be messing out on anything if you skip it. I agree. I'm giving it a strong skim. It was good. Yeah, it was fine. But if had I, if had I not read this at all, I would not... It was perfectly well executed. You betcha. Broken World number one from Boom. Five Ghost Rider Frank J. Barberi brings us the story of the end of the world as we know it. The world government is picking and choosing people to board giant space arcs in the shadow of a civilization-killing asteroid on a collision course with Earth. Everyone else is left to die, and Alina Marlowe is convinced she'll be escaping with her family thanks to fake credentials that cover up her questionable past. Christopher Peterson has some very solid pencils here that reminded me of Charles Burns and Daniel Klaus at times, and if you don't know who they are, trust me, that is a gigantic compliment. This is a fun take on the end of the world with a great twist. I'm giving it a bite. What a twist. Amazing Spider-Man, renew your vows, number one from Marvel. Dan Slott teams with Adam Kubert to sort of give us the story we think we all want. Pete and MJ are back together in this Secret Wars tie-in, but this is clearly not Spidey's world as we know it. The art is a real mixed bag. Pete's kid is something of a shape-shifting monster, apparently. <laughs> it's not bad, it, but it didn't really hit me like I was expecting to, considering how much I missed the pre-One More Day status quo. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, I haven't read it yet. Star Wars number six from Marvel. Up until this point, Marvel was having good, clean fun with the Star Wars comics and really hadn't messed with any continuity at all. Until now! There is a major burp in Han Solo's past that we have never encountered. I gotta say, I really liked it, and I can't wait to see how Princess Leia deals with this predicament. Amazing art by John Cassidy, who draws the best Luke Skywalker versus Boba Fett fight you never thought you'd see. I'm sorry, Dark Horse, but Marvel is kicking your ass in the Star Wars department, and they are not afraid to mess up, apparently. Buy it. How long can they sustain it, though? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Non-player number two from Image. What? I know. <laughs> Nate Simpson's epic sci-fi fantasy comic is back after a four-year hiatus. You may recall that we reviewed issue one of this comic on, uh, it was, let's say it was episode like eight or ten yeah. of Two Headed Nerd. Yeah, it was way back there. It was April of 2011. Don't go back and listen to that show. It's not terrible. Please don't. Was it worth the wait? That's up for you to decide, but I loved it. We learn a lot more about how the world looks and works outside the confines of the Warriors of Jarvath, which is the game that everybody's plugged the into. The World of Warcraft. Yeah. And we begin to get a glimpse of why things are going wrong inside the game world. Pick up the reprint of number one if you missed it and buy this too. I don't care. His art's very pretty. I don't care. It was great. Too long for me to care. Green Arrow 41 from DC. Arrow, sorry, Green Arrow doesn't get a new number one, but the series does get a new creative team with writer Ben Percy and artist Patrick Zercher taking over. Ollie is in Seattle. Why? I have no idea. But he's investigating the deaths of several black men by what seems to be a ghostly figure. I don't care for the arrowfication of this title or the de-aged Oliver Queen, but this was not poorly written. Ben Percy seems to have come out of nowhere, but he does a solid job here, and I love Patrick Zercher. This was certainly better than the GA comics I've read post-Flashpoint, but call me an angry old bastard if you will, it's just not as compelling to me as the Green Arrow that I love. I'm giving it a skim. That's fair. What the f***? That is your ludicrous speed round, and what the f*** is the sound Matt made when he read this week's Star Wars number six? I literally made that noise. <laughs> I urge you to do the same and then go to the this week's comic section of the THN forums and scream all about these comics and everything else you read this week. Felix Wanikin, a psychologist at Harvard, published a study this week that showed 
that chimpanzees preferred cooked food to raw and even went as far as to hoard vegetables rather than eat them if they knew they would be cooked later. The study shows that our ancestors may have learned to prefer cooked food to raw much earlier than we thought, but also resulted in a loud no from our good friend, Detective Chimp, who recently gave up his snooping for a cooking career and just so happens to be traveling the world showing people that not only do chimps prefer cooked food, some of them can whip up a meal that would make Julia Child swing from the trees. Joe, I couldn't be more excited to have the ex-detective chimp here tonight in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum cooking us dinner. This looks delicious. He would pass me some of that perfectly seared venison tenderloin with the mulberry balsamic reduction and tell the listeners what you're excited to read this week. Venison? What animal is that even? It's a deer. Deers aren't real. <laughs> My pick for next week is All-Star Section 8, number one from DC Comics, written by Garth Ennis, with art by John McRae. I think it's hilarious how they tacked on All-Star onto the front of the Section 8 title. (laughs) I love it. Here's just a list. The greatest superheroes of all time, unseen since the end of the hit series Hitman, have returned for the greatest superhero story ever told. Befuddled hero six-pack returns to Gotham City desperate to rebuild the All-Star team known as Section 8. In the face of a deadly threat, he gathers old friends, Bueno Excelente, <laughs> Bator, and the seemingly reborn Dog Welder. <laughs> His name is Good Excellent. <laughs> Do not turn your back on him. Along with some new faces, but he still needs that elusive eighth member. And that's when the Dark Knight detective gets an offer he can't refuse in part one of this unforgettable six issue miniseries. You guys. Yeah, I'm going to get right up on the mic to tell you this. <laughs> this is going to be great. I love Hitman so much, and I am thrilled that they are doing another Hitman story. And it doesn't matter if you don't even know what Hitman is. No, don't, don't worry about it. This is going to be fun. But if you were a fan of it back in the day, don't worry that this is going to be some sort of bastardization of, of Section 8. I've seen the artwork. I've read the preview they're right there in front of Noonan's bar. And these are the guys. Bator shows up. Garth Ennis this, and John McRae. They are the men who brought you Hitman. Somewhere in the post, the newly converged DC multiverse, Tommy Monahan still happened and his friends are back and I couldn't be more thrilled about I it. I really hope this sells. I really hope it does. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one to push. It, it's going to be just garbage sales, <laughs> but that's okay. Matt Bomb, what is your pick for next week? My pick is Starve, number one, from Image, written by Brian Wood, with art by Daniel Zazelge. Zazelge, right? Yeah. Daniel, if you listen to the show, tell me how to say your damn name. 32 pages. I think he's from, like, Croatia or something. Uh, Could be. 32 pages for the low, low price of $350. Here's your solicit. Utensils down! Hands up! Welcome to Starve! Wants the world's most famous chef, Gavin Crookshank's been in a self-imposed exile for years. His little foodie television program has since evolved into Starve, an arena sport that pits chef against chef for the pleasure of their super rich patrons. It's a stain on a once noble profession, and Chef Gavin is ready to go to war to stop it. Two things stand in his way. His arch rival, Roman Algiers, another great name, and his adult daughter, Angie, who probably just wants her dad back and acting normal. Brian Wood is so good at this weird universe building type stuff. I love that he's attacking. He's bringing food into comics and celebrity chefs. This is going to be fun. Love Daniel. Selge's art. Yeah, I can't say it. Love his art, though. I do. Too. I think it's going to be a great time. But you know what? It there's this disconnect for me because the style of Zazelge's art yeah and the cover image where the dude is like cutting his own mouth with the knife <laughs> it makes it look like this is some sort of terrifying horror comic sort of yes but that is not what I just heard from you yeah I think it's gonna be more like a wacky sort of this, takedown uh, of weird celebrity food television awesome that's my guess the THN trade of the week is Absolute Transmetropolitan Volume 1 hardcover from Vertigo, written by Warren Ellis with art by Derek Robertson. Here's the solicit. Collecting the first 21 issues of Warren Ellis's dystopian masterpiece, after years of self-imposed exile, cynical journalist Spider Jerusalem is forced to return to a job that he hates and a city that he loathes. 
Working as an investigative reporter for the newspaper The Word, Spider attacks the injustices of his surreal 21st century surroundings. We talked a little bit about Transmetropolitan last week. It's Hunter S. Thompson in the future. More or less. It is one of my favorite comic book series of all time. It's also some of the best stuff Warren Ellis ever wrote. And it is long overdue for the absolute treatment, though I would kill, kill for some of those just those smaller deluxe hardcovers. Screw that. Do not exist. I'm buying this. Joe, I am so full, I might burst. That chicken chimpatori. Oh, my God, that was amazing. Barf. <laughs> it's time for cigars and banana liqueur, buddy. In the meantime. Now I'm in. Please be so kind as to head over to the THN forums and let us know what you are excited to read next week. And don't forget to tip your simian waiter. As you may remember, Matt and I recorded live at the first annual O Comic Con last week. I can say first annual because they confirmed the second year is a go. It will still, it'll be the second annual. And Whatever, first. jerk! <laughs> you don't say first annual. Whatever! <laughs> and of course, we received huge accolades from attendees, exhibitors, and celebrity guests alike. Now it's our pleasure to bring you the interviews we conducted with some of the up and coming creators that attended the convention. I have somehow convinced Cullen Bunn, that's right, comic book writer Cullen Bunn, to come and sit with me and talk for a little bit against his best interests. Cullen, how are we today? I'm good. It was the money you all <laughs> The money. But could have been me. couldn't have been much. He was cheap, folks, let me tell you. Tell me about Harrow County first. We just reviewed that on the show the other day. Loved it. Oh. Loved it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Harrow County is a, a book I'm doing with Dark Horse right now uh, with... Uh, Art by Tyler Crook. Uh, it's a uh, it's basically a Southern Gothic fairy tale. Okay. Uh, with a story of a, a girl Emmy who discovers on the eve of her 18th birthday that she's connected to these ghosts and creatures that she has always accepted have lived around her, but she's connected to them in a way she never uh, never knew. Okay, you say Southern Gothic, and I detect a little bit of an accent here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina. Okay. Harrow County is set in North Carolina. Okay, there it is. Um, I've lost much of the accent over the years because I've lived in Missouri for you know over 20 years now, so I've lost much of the accent. But sometimes, if I go back and visit North Carolina, it comes back full force. Just a little bit. And then you hear my y'alls and, <laughs> and my fixins. You go back and get in the get in the pick 'em up truck and drive right. around. You bet. <laughs> How much of this is autobiographical? Are you drawing from stuff from your childhood? You know, I, I draw bits and pieces, uh, things that uh, you know, ghost stories I heard when I was a kid, things my dad told me or my uncle Hugh McKay told me when. I was growing up, right? Uh, there, there are bits and pieces that I that I draw from from that, uh, and you know, I think every story, to some degree, is a little autobiographical. Sure, you know, there's pieces of, of, of myself in these characters. Uh, I don't necessarily go out of my way to try to identify those when I'm writing it, though. Right. Yeah. And was Crook the your first choice for this? Was this the guy you wanted to go get? He's well, amazing, yeah, by the way. Tyler's awesome. Incredible. Uh, yeah. I uh, Tyler did some six gun, uh, some fill in issues of six gun. Course. I remember. And uh, and then he also did a, a three issue uh, six gun miniseries with me that just wrapped up called uh, Dust to Dust. And uh, and yeah, I've always wanted to work with Tyler on something else. So when the opportunity came across to to work on uh, a book for Dark Horse, uh, you know, definitely I wanted to work with Tyler on it. And and it seemed to be that he wanted to work with me. I, somehow I tri- <laughs> somehow I tricked him into wanting to work with me. I suppose. I've heard Dark Horse is just cool as hell to work with. Too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Super sweet guys. Yeah, very good. Very good to work with. Great guys. So. Maybe I'm reaching here, but between what you do in Hyrule County and the Six Gun, you seem to be a little obsessed with the supernatural. Yeah, no, no, that's not that's not a reach at all. <laughs> okay, uh, where does that come from? Again, I think it's just uh, how I grew up, things I, I liked when I was a kid, supernatural, uh, ghost stories, and witches, and, and sure. strange goings on have always been uh, something that that's fascinating. Right. And like, I I would say like your stuff, one of the reasons I love it is because you go into a little more of sort of the ghost story than like some of the other Dark Horse horror stuff, which is a little more occult driven. 
Yeah, I think it it, it fits with uh, with Harrow County it, going into the ghost story. It's what fits with that world right. that we were building. Is that there's a a bigger you know there's a mythology that we're kind of building as we tell this story. Fair enough. And why Western, the Six Gun? What drew you to a, do a supernatural Western? Well, Westerns in general are awesome. You just you know, love I, Westerns. I love Westerns. And, uh, you know, I've always loved supernatural Westerns. Back when I was I was writing prose, uh, primarily writing prose and trying to, to break into that, the first short story I ever sold was a supernatural Western. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, those, those are difficult to sell these yeah. days. <laughs> so the, the, the first story I was ever paid, the first piece of fiction I was ever paid money for was a supernatural Western. The magazine folded before the... Before the, it ever published. Hey, you got paid. Yeah, but I got paid. I, I ended up putting it on my website as a joke because it's such a, it's terrible. It's a terrible story. <laughs> but you can go to my website and read this piece of, of this wonderful piece of fiction. Fair enough. <laughs> Colin, thanks so much for sitting down with us. No, man. I'm glad to be here. Looking right forward thanks. to more of everything. Thank you. Seriously. And what do you got coming up in the future? What else? Uh, so, uh, more Harrow County coming out from uh, Dark Horse. And then uh, in a similar vein, uh, in October from Oni, I've got a book coming out called Blood Feud. Saw that. Blood Feud, uh, a vampire yarn with spiders. <laughs> it comes out. And it's, uh, it's set to, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's set in deep in the Missouri Ozarks. Uh, Again, it's, uh, you take the boy out of the South. That's but. right. <laughs> and, and, and it's a story, it's almost like a, a Hatfields McCoy story. If the Hatfields were demon-worshipping sorcerers. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down, man. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I have somehow convinced Michael Morisi to come and sit down <laughs> in our little satellite ziggurat here to talk with THN. Welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. What do you think of the uh, Omaha Comic Con so far? And, been, and be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone so ugly here? Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, is there something? Is the water? Yeah, no, it's all the corn. It's all the corn. It's too much corn. Okay, yeah, okay. No, no, it's it's been great. It's been, I, you know, like yesterday was like a kind of typical Friday con, right. and then today was Today was really busy, and it's like a good good vibe and good people. So yeah, it's been it's been rad. What where do you go next? What conventions next? Um, I have a store thing in California in a few in like two weeks. Okay, uh, and then San Diego. Nice. Then then go slay the beast. Oh god, are you <laughs> yeah. ready? Have you been yeah. doing your push-ups and like no. practicing your jabs? I know. <laughs> I feel like it's gotta be like like Rocky Four. Like, totally. Like a montage of me. Totally. It'll be like it'll be like one clip of me doing a push-up, and then the rest I'm probably asleep or eating a cheeseburger. Okay. <laughs> And then it's the part where Apollo gets killed, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where were you? I was like, oh, I was supposed to be training. <laughs> so recently, you took your book, Hoax Hunters, and you jumped from image to heavy metal. Yeah. Heavy metal just started putting out, like, American-sized comic books monthly not yeah. too long ago, right? Yeah, Hoax Hunters, the, the first one. Okay. What, what's the decision there? What, what made you make that? I'm not asking you to talk shit about anybody, but, I mean, you know... <laughs> If you want to, it's great for ratings. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you. A little if you want to work indeed. again, maybe not. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's uh, uh, that's what I'm, I'm really into biting the hand that feeds. Fair hey. So, Hoax Hunter is being developed into a film, right? And the guy, congratulations. Who, oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, when it comes out, then we can. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah celebrate. Yeah. Let's not start shaking hands yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so the guy who's producing it, uh, Jeff Krellitz, is also the co-owner of Heavy Metal. Now he bought it. I uh, did not know. Yeah, yeah, he bought it about a year ago from uh, Kevin Eastman. Okay. Um, so when he did that, one of his things they want to do is one was start developing, you know, like you said, the American, you know, floppy monthly comic books. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, so one of the first things he wanted was hoax hunters because he wanted to bring it all under one umbrella with film and merchandise he's going to do and in the comic. Cool. Yeah. So it kind of made sense, and I told Image, and you know. They were like, yeah, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> and you're and you're still doing Roach Limit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's no conflict of interest. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, you know, it's cool because you know Eric Stevenson, the publisher, is a pretty. He's an understanding guy. He like he he totally understood it. You know, and other books for different reasons have had to go. You know, Fear Agent was there, and Fear Agent went to sure. Dark Horse, and just sometimes there's just kind of business decisions that drive that. And he's a pretty. He's so supportive of creators and what you're doing that he he gets it. I mean, I, I don't think he's you know totally would be like let anything happen, you right? Know? But like, but he's a, he's a pretty sweet guy. Yeah, and he knew like you know like Coke Hunters had ended. It wasn't like ongoing at that part. So I think I don't know if if Heavy Metal hadn't picked it up, I don't know if Hoax Hunters would have came back. Really? Yeah. I mean, we we're at a so point. they came to you. Yeah, yeah. And they it, said, we want you to do more of this. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it was good. I mean, it was a nice opportunity, and I was glad that that happened, because, I mean, you know, Hulk Center was, like, my first, like, 
big, bigger series, bigger thing, I guess. Right. So to have it back was pretty nice, and to keep you know doing it again has been nice. But yeah, I mean, we had come to a point in Image where it was like being honest, like it you know sales weren't spectacular. You know, so we were we were you know okay, but it was it was hard to keep it going. Sure. And then I started doing other things that just become less of a priority because doing hoax hunters was so intense, you know, of like trying to make it successful, trying to like get people to buy it and retail right. and all that stuff. So it, there's a chance that I wouldn't have kept going. And, you know, Heavy Metal definitely gave it a new lease on life to keep going. Because they, you know, the biggest thing, they paid the artist. Right. Which is like took a immense burden off of, you know, myself and Steve Seeley, who I do it with, you know, like that took that off our plate. So it was like, okay, we can continue to do this and under those circumstances. All right. Let me ask you, and I'm not talking down or anything, but like with the level that you're at right now, it's easy for someone like Joe and I to look at me like, he's pretty successful. He's got a film coming out. Like <laughs> Are you making a living doing this? Um, just about, you know, I, it's weird because I think I have a different threshold because like I, one, I live in Chicago, so it's super expensive. Yeah. I like to, I like to make things like really difficult for myself. Yeah. You're doing, <laughs> what, what hood are you in? I'm in, uh, this area called Bowmanville. Oh yeah. No, you're making very difficult. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a hip place to be, buddy. I'll give yeah, you yeah, it's really. I mean, I, I'm, I walk out the door with a little, you know, bounce in my step, and sure, sure. you know, but then I remember who I am and what. Like, oh yeah, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, God, money, <laughs> money. People care about that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Roach Limit. What's coming up? Um, so we're in the uh, the second issue of the second volume is coming out uh, June 10th, I believe. If that's a Wednesday. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Somewhere in that somewhere in that ballpark. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's coming out, and then um, yeah, we're we're almost done with issue three, and then that this uh, volume is going to be five issues. Then we do the third volume, and then then that's it. Then we're done. So this is a finite story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fifteen issues. Yeah, which is kind of like <laughs> one of those things. Like you know, when I, when it came out, I was like touting the trilogy thing. I was like, yeah, it's gonna be this trilogy. You know, blah blah blah. I kept right. talking about that, and then when it came out, it did a lot better than I anticipated, and I was like, ah, this could totally be an ongoing. And I shouldn't have ran my mouth. You still could. <laughs> no. I mean, on, there's no rules on that crap. You can do it. It's yours. I made a promise to the internet. You it's can't break It's not like that. I'm going to be like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? Welcome to Matt's Roach Limit fan fiction, you know? <laughs> so do you yeah. feel better writing finite stories than you do in ongoing? Are you afraid of the ongoing? Or like... Uh. A little. What are you scared? <laughs> you know? Are you calling me out like now? Like, yeah, yeah. Where's your ongoing? Where is it? Why does it happen? <laughs> no, yeah, a little bit because it's like, especially with image. Like image is like it's so dependent on sales and like keeping keeping a book alive. Right. At like you know depending on the the weight you're boxing. Like if you're like Reminder, like you can go and do whatever you want. Sure. Well, you got a name. That's you got a name so. exactly. Yeah. So it, it would be a lot more challenging for me. Um, and I think story wise, it's also challenging. I think I like pretty specific things I try to do, which is, which just makes it difficult because then I have to keep coming up with more ideas. Right. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> well, after you start writing Captain America, don't worry about it, buddy. You'll be cashing paychecks. Did you hear something in my writing? Oh, I, I wasn't supposed to say anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, Michael, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This is yeah. great, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks what, for having anything me. Anything coming in the future? Anything we need to watch for? Um, I have uh, a book on Black Mask called Transference that comes out. Black um, Mask. Very cool. So what are you going to be doing for Black Mask? Uh, it's a book called Transference. It's like a okay. spy, sci-fi, science fiction book. Uh, so that, and then I have a not really in your wheelhouse. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, just trying something new. Yeah, no, I, got, I get it. <laughs> so, so yeah, and that's like that's all. It's basically new for this year. Then I have a we haven't announced yet. But I have a, actually an ongoing book with Image that's coming in hey, March. Is this April. Breaking news? Are we breaking news? Well, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Uh, oh, okay, <laughs> I can't, all right. I can't no, because it's gonna. Not. Sure. <laughs> I'll just let you tell me off mic, and then uh, maybe you guys will hear. Something something later on. Yeah. What's that red dot? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, never mind that. Just scoot a little closer to your mic. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, man. no, no problem. Great. Thank Hope you. you have a good time. That was just a taste of the fun we had last weekend. Now head to our Tumblr page, twoheadednerd.tumblr.com to hear even more interviews from the floor of Ocomicon 2015. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Welcome Back to the Ziggurat episode of THN. If you like thoughtful examinations about what kind of equipment your favorite comic creators are packing, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. 
Thank you to all of our donors, and if you want to keep us rolling in pharmaceuticals to help fight off the con crud we picked up last week, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. Remember, when you sleep with a cosplayer, you sleep with every cosplayer they've ever slept with. Wow. That's right. It's really scary when you put it that way. <laughs> If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While at TwoHeadedNerd.com, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. And don't forget, go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the Ziggurat. We can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published content comics and more importantly learn about all of our segments and how you can be a part of them oh and you can just rap about comics if you dig the music you hear on the show you can follow our soundtrack playlist on spotify every week by searching for matt bomb's spotify profile next week we're playing ask a nerd where one lucky dummy will have his burning question answered by this pair of comic book geniuses. <laughs> Before we go, a weekly shout-out goes to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, who is finally recognized as an official citizen by the government of Japan. Big G was quoted as saying, Screeonk, and then he stomped off, crushing most of the Shibuya district of Tokyo. Word to you, mighty Gojira. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, because if you don't, there's no way your retailer's gonna show you his giant hog. That is not happening regardless. <laughs> This is a Do It Nerd signing off! That was good. We did good. Yeah.